1: Welcome back to the Eclipse Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I am joined today by Garrett Corpening from Sports Illustrated, where he also covers the Clippers. Garrett, how's it going? Going really
0: well, Sabrina. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, not as well as the Clippers are. It's been a nice last couple days for the LA team. Uh, Big blowout wins over both Minnesota and Portland. The Portland one was actually really quite fun. I mean, when this team starts hitting threes, it is... Something to behold. (laughs) But where I wanted to start with you, Garrett, is I know we had a lot of preseason expectations about what this team was going to look like. Me personally, the fact that they just looked so terrible during the preseason had me a little concerned about what this group was going to look like. But once the regular season has started, I have been forced to reevaluate all of my preconceived notions about these Clippers. And so I wanted to start with you, Garrett. Um, Is there anything that you thought heading into the season, and I realized it's only been like eight days so far <laughs> that you have been forced to reconsider when it comes to the 2020, 21 Clippers.
0: Yeah. So one of the biggest things for me, um, a few others too, I expected a slow start with mm-hmm. this team just because like you mentioned the preseason, but also, um, with the roster turnover, with the new coaching staff, all those things, um, I wasn't feeling super confident about the, you know, first couple weeks of the schedule just because it would take a while to get integrated and with the short off season as well. Um, just figured that things look a little rough for the first month or so until they start to pick things up and get to know each other. Um, And the preseason kind of verified that for me. I didn't want to put too much into it, but like you said, they looked a little rough. Um, But yeah, the way they started this season is totally blown the way. They seem really far ahead of where I figured they would be at this point. Um, Much more, I think, cohesive team than we saw last season, especially with all the ball movement, uh, all the communication and that sort of thing as well. Um, so yeah, I, have definitely had to change my expectations a little bit. Um, definitely exceeding what I had thought so far.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of on the same page. Uh, I was of the belief that the Clippers were going to try to take the regular season very seriously, just because of all of the grief, you know, we, and everybody else gave them last year for sort of gliding through those 82 games or what ended up being 72 or whatever, considering what happened. Um, but I wasn't sure if they would have the capability, you know, to, you know, hit, hit the gas immediately, just because like you said, there was an entirely new coaching staff and significant personnel changes. Like even if you consider the fact that the, like the Clippers have the same starting lineup that they did last year um, or theoretically, you know, they did because he beats Zubac and Marcus Morris around this team. Um, Morris, you know, only came in in February, you know, it's not like he was a integral part of this team, even parts of the rotation, like Reggie Jackson was only here for a short period of time. Um, so it seems like this group has been together for a while just because, months wise it's been a long period of time but the actual amount of basketball they played was not so substantial uh, so i'm glad to see that like there was clearly a, a discussion that was had you know that they want to take these games they want to take them with some sense of urgency because like this is their chance to develop as a basketball team i just i wasn't sure that it was going to look this good so fast and obviously there was one glaring exception to it looking good but we don't really need to talk about that because i don't <laughs> think it's supremely predictive of what's coming forward um but yeah, it's, it's been really a pleasant surprise. I just, I like watching a team that comes and plays hard every night. And regardless of what the results are, it's just refreshing to see that the Clippers seem to have that attitude. And to me, that's the most important thing so far.
0: Yeah. I mean, we can even see it in like the post game media sessions and that kind of stuff. And the way they look on the court, like this team plays with so much joy mm-hmm. and they really feel like they enjoy being on each other. And I can't say for sure, if that was the case last season, um, they just really seem like they enjoy being out there and playing together and uh yeah I got it I just been really really impressed with what I've seen so far
1: right and I think you know we have to start at the top when it comes to this sort of new look Clippers and as much as I hate to give credit to coaches over players because I really do think the players are the most important factor here a lot of this starts with Ty Lue now I was never one of the people who thought that Doc Rivers was like a bad coach you know I I still don't think he is a bad coach although uh the the gap in what the Clippers look like so far and what they looked like the last couple of years is uh, startling, let's say. Yeah. And Philadelphia hasn't looked any better than I would have hoped. So um, I'm not I'm not going to put this in like the you know Mark Jackson Steve Kerr jump that the Clippers are experiencing, but there is definitely there's definitely a a gap, you know, in what the Clippers were able to do on the court last year and what they've been able to do this year. Part of that obviously has to come from the fact that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are healthy right now when they weren't at this point of the season last year. Having your best players on the court naturally makes you look better. There's no denying that. But there's also the fact that the Clippers run sets. Like, who knew?
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um,
1: the fact that they're not just, you know, relying on Kawhi to use his individual brilliance to make something happen or Lou Williams or Paul George that they actually have offensive actions. And when the first one stalls, like, lo and behold, there is another one. Uh, Like, I mean, what is happening here, Carrie? Like, what am am I watching?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've been most impressed by, and you hit it there with, like, the different actions they've run, and um, I think last season there was ball movement, but it felt Mm -hmm. more like it was ball movement because they just felt like they kind of had to do it. And this year it seems like they're moving the ball with a purpose and like they know where they want to get the ball. They know um, what the next pass is going to be or what the next shot is going to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, from those those ball, that ball movement. Uh, I don't know exactly what the stat was. I think it was a couple of nights ago, but um, I want to say it was like the Clippers averaged like 271 passes per game last season. Mm-hmm. And it's up to around 320 this season. Right. Um, and so obviously, you know, ball movement, just a second ball movement isn't like the number one thing and it's not going to be, like you know a game-changing thing but like I said like they're moving the ball to purpose this season Um, they're getting a ton of assists they all seem um, like they're making smart passes around the perimeter Um, yeah the system in place the Tyler's offense really is making a big difference with this team
1: right and I think you hit the nail on the head there with like the type of passes they're making because you know as our fun guy Kawhi Leonard said last night just making passes is not like a sign of basketball IQ right like there can be teams that move the ball around a lot and just don't have a good offense but what the Clippers are doing, the fact that like, you know, they're moving off the ball. And so some of those passes hit cutters in the lane, and then you're able to kick out once the defense collapses or all those driving kicks. And, you know, when the doubles come, they're making the right reads out of those, you know, situations. I know Ty talked about this yesterday where the Clippers specifically, you know, do live practices where Kawhi PG and lure the ball handlers and they get blitzed and uh, doubled and they have to, you know, find the right, reads out of those and I mean Lou said that they've been doing this for a little while but this is the first time they've ever done it live not just drilling it which I'm not entirely sure what that means but it sounds better right mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, yeah you know using practice what what a concept but <laughs> there's just there's a look with the Clippers that yeah. I don't mind I think part of it is that uh, Ibaka is a bit of a better passer than Zubac in the starting lineup um, not like a substantial difference but uh, there's something there and then just the night and day difference between Marcus Morris and Nicholas Batum where Marcus Morris definitely provided a lift to the offense. When he first came to the Clippers, just because he was a shooter that you had to respect in that starting five, which more Harkless was not, but Batum, I mean, I didn't expect to start here when I was thinking about, you know, all of the wonderful things that have happened for the Clippers on the court this year, but I had, let's say, slightly above zero expectations for Nick Batum this year, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say that his tenure in Charlotte was less than impressive. And the fact that the Hornets were willing to pay him $9 million a year not to play for them so they they could sign Gordon Hayward was not a ringing endorsement of what he was capable of doing, you know, at age 32. But my goodness, is he exactly what the Clippers need? Just a ball mover who makes open shots, grabs rebounds, is just the perfect connector for everything the Clippers need on the court. Uh, like I, I get that Ty Lu's system is like the overarching, you know, force that's making everything look better, but having a player like Batum in the starting lineup, just what an inspired choice by Ty there. And what an inspired choice for the Clippers to get him and realize that he was going to work so perfectly here.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the things that I've seen brought up on Twitter recently is uh, Kawhi's comments after the end of last season we talked about getting players with like higher basketball IQ on the court Mm -hmm. and everyone just immediately said, Oh, point guard, they need a new point guard, they need a point guard upgrade, all those sorts of things. Um, And, and Nick Batum, you know, obviously not a point guard, but he's someone that fits that basketball IQ mold to a T. I mean, he's always in the right place at the right time. He's always crashing the boards. He is in the right place on defense. He makes the right passes, even if they're not assists, he still kicks the ball around when he needs to, and is excellent at finding the open man on offense. Um, yeah, so like you said, I mean, my expectations for Batum were also very low based on what I saw in Charlotte and the injury concerns. And just I read some stuff about uh, from Charlotte fans saying that he just didn't look all that motivated to be there. And I was like, I really don't know if this is the right choice bringing him in. But I mean, it's a minimum. So, you know, whatever it is. But um, yeah, his, his place in this rotation and, and the way he's looked so far this season has totally blown me away. And I think he's by far and away the most underrated acquisition they made this offseason.
1: I'd argue he's like the most underrated acquisition any team made this off season. Just uh, yeah, he's right there. A huge coup to pick him up. Um, he said something interesting the other day, I think it was after the Christmas day game where uh, he felt like the Clippers needed him. You know, it wasn't so much that he thought it was like a good fit. Like he was going to shine or something. He just said that the Clippers, like you look at what they have and they need me, you know, they need mm-hmm. a guy who's going to not care about his stats or, you know, how many points he's going to score. They need a guy who's just going to make the smart play over and over again. And that's what I do. And I do think that, you know, it's fair for a guy to lack motivation in Charlotte when yeah. I I like Campbell Walker quite a bit. It's not – it wasn't a great situation there. It's not like they were making regular postseason runs or even when they got to the postseason, they didn't even win any series. Uh, so just to experience that change of situation from an Eastern Conference other ran, you know, to a title contender would naturally get you a little bit more excited to play basketball again, I would imagine – And he seems to be in better shape from what I can tell. Uh, I'm trying not to get too excited because like you said, there have been some injury concerns. It's only five games into the season. We don't know if this is sustainable, but it's good to know that like the the peak version of Nick Batum Mm -hmm. is something that fits in with the Clippers and something that really lifts them to another level. So at least that's in your back pocket, like in the event that Batum needs to be load managed towards the end of the regular season, you know, or just like take some games off the route. Uh, at least you know what's there you know right and that's something to think about fondly in the event that something happens later in the season but yeah Nick Batum just what a delight and I gotta tell yeah. you uh having the guys like him and Ibaka just to talk to the accents are great I, I just can't I can't stress it enough the accents are really great uh,
0: <laughs> it's just
1: a nice thing to have I uh you know the little things you gotta enjoy yeah uh, but yeah Nick Batum really fun uh Let's go over to the other major Clipper acquisition of the offseason, and that would be Serge Ibaka. Mm-hmm. I think we were all fairly surprised when Ty decided that he was going to start Ibaka in favor of Zubac, uh, just because, I mean, I, I know that I spent most of the season saying that it, Zubac needed to play more. <laughs> um, and for Montre and Jamonka Green to both leave, and then the Clippers to decide, oh, we're going to bench Zoo after this dramatic improvement I think he showed over like the year and a half that he's been with the Clippers – kind of seemed unfair to zoo Mm -hmm. Um, but fortunately it seems like the dynamic in the locker room is strong enough that zoo hasn't taken this as a demotion and it probably also helps that he's playing more minutes than he did when he was a starter Uh, but what did you think about Ibaka starting and how have you come down on that decision
0: well yeah I was a little surprised at first like you were um And I think to, to go with zoo there too, I think the biggest thing for him is that, like you said, he hasn't viewed it as a demotion. Uh, He seems like he's taking it all in stride and he's still saying like, you know, I have the same role still. I'm still doing the same things. It's just off the bench instead. Um, And I do think he is a great fit with that bench unit so far. I think putting him with guys like Lou Williams and Luke Kennard, especially putting shooters around him where he can go inside and he can crash the boards and kick it back out to them. um, I think it's been a really great fit there, but yeah, with surge and the starters um, I've, loved everything he's done so far Um, I think he's been a really great option to have in the pick and pop where he's been um, shooting above the key he's been great from three-point range Uh, and then even as a pick and roll guy he's been great just passing out to the corners and getting those open shots Um, he's been a better rebounder than I expected he's been a better interior scorer than I expected I know it was that Minnesota game and they're a little thin in the front court but he had some really great finishes inside that really impressed me Um, and then there's been a lot of talk too about like how he's not the shot blocker he used to be not the defender he used to be um he's still been really solid on that end and i think he's still his presence is definitely still felt um, so yeah i've liked a lot of what i've seen from abaca so far like yeah i was surprised with him starting but so far i think it's looking like the right move
1: Yeah it's interesting you say that he's not the shot blocker he used to be which i think statistically has definitely proven itself but mm-hmm. it takes a long time for reputations in the nba to change so even though he's not the athlete that he used to be and he's not blocking shots at that same rate he still is viewed, you know, as a guy that you don't necessarily want to challenge at the rim. And I think just his presence exactly. is something of a deterrent, which, you know, for better or worse, it just, it takes a long time for guys to realize that, Oh, this guy's not a good shooter anymore. <laughs> this guy like is a good shooter now. Uh, so he's sort of benefiting from that, which, you know, Hey, uh, I still do believe that he's not as good of a defender as Zubac is, mm-hmm. but within the constructs of that starting lineup where one through four are all plus defenders, it's not as important for him to be that guy. Uh, so I guess it's okay that, you know, you're bringing zoo off the bench, especially because, you know, the bench that the Clippers have is filled with less than average <laughs> um, right. defenders. So it's a nice uh, trade-off, you know, to have some sort of defensive integrity in the middle when you have, let's say flammable guards in Lou Williams and Luke Kennard mm-hmm. and Reggie Jackson, who thankfully do not play together as much as they used to.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: But that sort of brings me back to another Ty Lue point, which is uh staggering. Your best player is just what a concept. I mean, uh, <laughs> I've always understood the argument that you want your best players to play together as much as possible, because just the effect of having them on the court together is so dramatic. And like, I think, you know, the nets are still doing that this year with uh, Kyrie and Kevin Durant, those guys like to be on the court at the same time. So they just do that. And then let Kara run the show when he's off the court, but like it works because they've got, you know, a a Jared Allen, you know, to, and like a lot of really other good players to help that bench unit work. Mm It doesn't work when you have just like five defensive turnstiles playing together at the same time, like the Clippers kind of did. And it's not to say that their offensive contributions are not important. It's just, you know, you've got to balance your lineups. And I think the way that Tyloo's done that, why having one of PG or Kawhi on the court at all times is really important because it just, I mean, for one, they're just all really good players. And I as much as I like the combination of Kawhi and PG, I don't think that they necessarily complement each other to the point where you need to have them together at all times. Mm-hmm. Like obviously having two guys that good on the court together makes things challenging for a defense. Like there's no getting around that, but there's nothing inherently like synergistic about their games that you would need them to play together all the time for them to make each other better, mm-hmm. which it's just like an interesting roster dynamic that the Clippers have that maybe other teams with two stars don't. But yeah, I like, I like you coming off the bench. I've always loved the Lou Williams, the visas you watch combination. Um, I mean, even back when they were on the Lakers, I thought it was a fun combination. Um, but yeah, it's it's just something that's persisted, even though they've barely played together over the last year and change because Montrose Harrell was obviously occupying all those minutes. It's been a really good time. I just, I'm so impressed that Zoo has taken this, again, not a demotion, but like, you know, change and role so swimmingly because people care about starting and it seems like he's not starting and he's probably not going to be closing still just because of this natural fit that Ibaka has with the starters. And that's, that's a hard thing to swallow, I think, because like this was his role. He was the starting center, and it's not a small thing that he's managed to take this in stride and not have any sort of complaints about it, at least not publicly, which mm-hmm. is probably the most important thing. <laughs> but yeah, go zoo. Uh, I still think he's getting better. I mean, there was this weird thing where he had, what, two rebounds over the course of two games against Denver and Dallas, which I'm not entirely sure how that's possible when you're seven feet tall and you're <laughs> playing 20 minutes a game. But he's just so strong in the paint. And I love the idea that he gets to bully these backup fives who are just generally not as big as him because who really is bringing a seven footer off the bench. Like we saw this against the Lakers, which is just so funny because they bring Montrez Harrell off the bench now. And zoo is just obliterating him. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. He's so <laughs> much stronger than Montrez Harrell. He's so much bigger. cannot rebound him, just bully him in the paint. And uh, I'm, I'm not, like sold yet that Ibaka needs to be the permanent starter. I think uh, I think a lot about his situation in Toronto a couple of years back when Nick Nurse would rotate be- between him and Jonas Valanciunas, depending on the matchup, like who was a better fit that night, just in terms of if you need somebody more mobile or somebody bigger. And I think we might see those situations for the Clippers down the line, but uh, just what a what a great start by Zou to take this role in stride, just be awesome with Lou to be a super only really good defensive player and like he's on the second year of a what a twenty-eight million dollar contract. I know we give the Clippers a lot of grief about some of the deals where they appear to have paid a little bit more on the back end than they needed to do. Uh, this Zubac contract is a steal, uh, yeah. And their center position as a whole, I think, is just what a fantastic use of resources. Like, I can't say mm-hmm. enough about
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me too this year and it's been talked about a lot but the fact that they have two seven footers at center now that they can have two legitimate rim protectors um two big guys that just throw at people and like you said too with zoo dominating off the bench um you know i think what a, is there a better way for him to build confidence you know what i mean i mean mm-hmm. with him going against guys like trez and like younger centers or not younger centers but smaller centers off the bench um the fact that he can you know feast on the glass like that and score inside with ease and Um, He's gotten to the line a lot this season, I thought, too, because he's so big and imposing that the other guys just can't handle him. Um, I I think, you know, like you said, I think we will probably see Zoo start in some matchups this season, just because I don't know if I like Surge against some of the bigger guys. Um, But for now, for what we've seen, um, I think I I like the role for him off the bench.
1: That's a really good point about building his confidence against uh, guys who necessarily aren't as good. That's that's really interesting. I wonder if that's something Ty that considered um, when he was making that decision. So I think, uh, you know, two for two on Zubac and Batum in terms, I'm sorry, Ibaka and Batum in terms of offseason <laughs> acquisitions. Uh, I would say that the third one has been a little bit less successful. Uh, I like Luke Kennard quite a bit. Um, his production has been a little hit or miss. You know, I know mm-hmm. that the Clippers have just been telling him to be as aggressive as possible, you know, looking for his shot and it has gone in with mixed rates. <laughs> but uh, in terms of the trade the Clippers make, I can't fault it at all because they got rid of the salary of Rodney Magruder, who through no fault of his own really just could not find a place with the Clippers. And I thought maybe this might be easier, you know, with Dan Craig coming in from Miami and them having that connection where Magruder like made his NBA career happen. Was not to be the case. Uh, and then the Clippers also got four second round picks out of it, which I, I like, I think about that, you know, like every, every couple hours or so, honestly, just cause it's like this <laughs> remarkable instance of where well, I assumed Troy Weaver was a good GM. And then it's just like, Oh, maybe he's just trying to get rid of all the guys who weren't his and create an entire new team in his image, but whatever. Uh, Luke Kennard, uh, you know, still shooting what 39% from threes. It just seems like he hasn't quite found his total footing with the Clippers. And that's to be expected, you know, like he's a younger guy he's never been in a winning situation in the NBA. Uh, for the long-term, I think it's a good idea to have him around just because he has naturally more upside than Shamit, I would think. Uh, we'll just see how that works out. I'm, I'm just interested. Have you seen anything from Kennard that excites you particularly or worries you? Or?
0: Uh, well, I think the biggest thing with Kennard, like you said, with Shamit, it's like he just has more upside. I think we've already – even though he hasn't looked his best, I think we've already seen things that he's done this year that Shamit just couldn't do. I mean, he's gotten into the paint and he's put up some floaters, which is something we rarely saw Shamit do. I think he penetrates really well. I think he's um, a little bit better of a playmaker. Again, his shot hasn't quite gone yet, but I think, you know, in time and, and as he continues to build confidence, it's going to go. Um, I think one of the big things with him too, is that up until what the first game of the season, he hadn't played in over a year mm-hmm. uh, and he's now with a new situation, new team, again, the short off season situation too. So like all these things I think kind of compound and make things ha- have made things a little bit more difficult for him to adjust and, and get used to being in this new team. Um but yeah, I think he looked really confident. I think it was in the Minnesota game where he had, I want to say, 13 points it was uh, with the starters there. Um, yeah, I think as he continues to build that confidence and is a little more aggressive with his shot, um, kind of stops hesitating when he has an open look and just takes it instead, kind of lets it go. Um, he's going to be a really reliable and really great shooter for this team. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he continues to grow with this unit.
1: Yeah, it's funny to think that like he hasn't been shooting well when, like I just said, he's made 39% of his threes, which is just like a solidly above average number. Yeah. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh it just sort of feels that he doesn't uh seem to have his footing in the same way that the other guys do. And you mm-hmm. make an excellent point about the fact that he had not played a game for a full calendar year before he started the season with the Clippers. So maybe that has something to do with it. <laughs> I also <laughs> think it's nice that he's just a guy who can bring the ball up the court under pressure. You know, it's always nice to have an extra ball handler. You know, that's another thing that Nick Batum brings um just like they literally have him start the offense you know at the top right. of the key on certain sets which I mean how many teams have their power forward
0: do that it's just a,
1: a wonderful luxury that he brings but
0: yeah right uh,
1: um
0: if I can get him a tomb real quick I wanted to mm-hmm. ask you um I think there's been a little bit of a discussion I don't know how valid it is or whatever it is about um having Marcus come off the bench once Marcus is back mm-hmm. um and I, I wanted to see where you're at on that because I think with you know how it how much they paid to bring marcus back and how well he did seem to fit with with the starters you know to a degree as like a shooter and that kind of thing last season um i think there is a little bit of an argument to be made just based on how well Batum has fit in with these starters and how well he moves the ball um to keep him there at least for a little bit until marcus maybe gets his footing back and looks you know all the way healthy again where are you at on that
1: yeah, so I saw that on Twitter for the first time last night after the Portland game um, when, you know, just, just another quietly excellent Nick Fatoum performance. Um, mm-hmm. I am of the belief that because, like you said, how much money they've invested in Marcus Morris, it's probably best to keep him as a starter for the time being. Um, and because I generally have faith in the way that Ty Lu has mixed and matched his lineups, like guys are getting shorter shifts. They're coming in and out multiple times during each half. You can still get Batum enough time with Ibaka, with Kawhi, you know, so that, like, you can play Marcus as a starter and still reap the benefits of having Nick with, like, the superstars, too. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: So it shouldn't be a problem in that sense. Like, in previous iterations of the team, right, like, there was a distinct starting unit and distinct second unit. So, you know, crossing over between those two meant you weren't going to play with any of the other guys. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that that's the case anymore. So let Marcus start unless he's just, you know, terrible coming off of this sore knee or, but I do think that in the playoffs, like it's, it's so I'm getting so far ahead of myself, but just, I'm thinking about Marcus Morris's game, right. And he's an excellent shooter, an excellent isolation scorer. I've never thought that moving the ball and like moving off the ball are his primary traits like what serve him well, he's, he can shoot off of spot ups, but like, he's not the guy who's going to be, you know, curling off of screens or, you know, relocating based on a certain action that's happening on the other side of the court. Uh, he's, he's a scorer first. Right. And like, that makes the Clippers really offensively potent in that starting lineup, but I'm not sure it's what they need so much. Uh, mm-hmm. I just also think it's really hard to bench that guy when like, all he did wrong was he got hurt you know? Um, But then again, they also just benched Zubac and he did literally nothing wrong. So uh, I I would like to think that Ty has enough equity within the locker room to make those kinds of decisions and bring Marcus off the bench. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also just like, I I worry about the egos, you know, like I, I, maybe I shouldn't because we've seen, you know, obviously just one instance of this working out seemingly for the first five games, but Marcus, to me, seems like a guy who came to the Clippers expecting to start, and he probably re-signed with his team expecting to start. Uh, Maybe those things change when you're getting paid sixty million million a year. It doesn't really matter what they're paying you to do. like You can just take the money and walk with it. But uh, my gut says that they're going to try starting him, and it could probably still work, just depending on how the staggers work. But Mm -hmm. uh, I I think it's too early to say that they need to start Batum just because it's only been five games. Uh, Obviously, he's been a really interesting fit with the starters i just i just think it's too early and Mm. um marcus does enough things well like he's a solid enough defender he's a really good shooter um that you're not sacrificing you know a ton i'm not even sure you're sacrificing anything because like he's a more respected shooter on the corners like Nick two getting wide open shots and i'm not just and that's not just because like the clippers are running an offense that gets him wide open shots it's because people don't trust him to make those shots uh And just, like, putting an extra defender on Marcus Morris could just create more space for the other guys to do their
0: stuff. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And I agree. I think – yeah, I think the biggest thing you said was the staggering, right? And, like, uh, this is a move that Doc Dockby wouldn't have done last year where you wouldn't probably see Nick get hardly any more minutes with the starters after he goes to the bench. But, um, yeah, because Ty is focused on equity and there's the shorter rotations and that sort of thing, or the shorter stints in the rotations, um, I think you'll definitely still see Nick with the starters once he moves to the bench – um, and as long as he gets those minutes, as long as he can still make an impact there, I think it's, it's going to be good. So,
1: It's funny that we're even having this conversation, though, because like we yeah. like said earlier, just, <laughs> I mean, when I saw Batum in the starting lineup, just even in the preseason, I was thinking, I mean, I guess Patrick Patterson could be better.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It felt like that, too. Like with Paul George being out last year and started Pat yeah. Pat with the first 11 or so games, it mm-hmm. just felt like a replay of that. But yeah, it's been a totally different situation.
1: Yeah, I, I still like what Patrick Patterson does. I mean, I think uh, mm-hmm. he's one of those guys where you just know exactly what you're going to get from him every time he steps onto the court. And that's an excellent quality to have in a veteran who doesn't get to play every game. Mm-hmm. Uh, just super really consistent. Takes a lot of good shots. Uh, he took this wild-ass floater last night against the Blazers <laughs> where he like drove in from the baseline. I'm not really sure yeah. what was happening there, but uh, yeah, good for all of the Clippers who have settled into these new roles under Ty Lue and just... Everyone seems to be happy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I I keep thinking about this Blazers game last night. There was one possession where Kawhi sort of dumped it off to Serge for a three-pointer um, at the top of the key, and he's, like, running back, and then he sees it goes in, and he like gives this, like, nice fist bump after Serge makes a three. And it's just, like, Kawhi was never that happy for anybody last year, except for maybe Zoo. He really likes Zoo watch. Um, you can kind of see that. They still celebrate with each other, like, on the bench sometimes. But uh, it's nice to just have the guys in a good mood, you know? Like yeah. there's obviously kawaii and Ibaka have this relationship dating back to toronto um there's like a startling number of guys who have spent time with the detroit pistons which i'm not sure is a plus but they've all been there um i'm not sure that marcus morris was ever there with luke Kennard, but he's definitely there with reggie um but yeah that's that was a while back um yeah and then uh you know pg obviously loves reggie and pat pat and there's just There's like you said earlier, they're playing with a definite amount of joy and Mm. it's not a tangible thing, but just watching the games, you feel it, it makes it more pleasant to watch. And I'm sure it makes it easier for them to play with one another and accept these, you know, changing roles and situations just because they seem to genuinely like one another, which uh, considering how few personnel changes have made since last year, I I think we can pretty much target what the problem was (laughs) or what the two problems were. Um,
0: Yeah, it's good to see. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, definitely good to see. Uh, Is there anything about Kawhi and PG this year that has interested you?
0: Um, I think it's Kawhi. I think it's Kawhi talking as much as he has. And the way he's even talked with us in in the media sessions, he's just been more vocal. I know Serge Ibaka has talked about it. Now he's made like a very, you know, concerted effort to talk more and be just more of a vocal leader with the team. Um, And like you said, with what the way he's been, you know, displaying emotion on the court, there was a moment I can think of, and I don't remember if it was preseason against the Lakers or if it was that first game, but I think they're on a fast break and Pat was on the opposite wing that Kawhi was on and Kawhi looked at him and kind of just did like a, like a shoot it motion. Mm-hmm. And it's just like little things like that that you never saw from Kawhi last year. And it's like this kind of, he just, he's a little more like, he's just showing emotion. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see from someone that is always so deadpan and always so serious Um, And it seems like he's genuinely having fun and it's not just like something that like, you know, Ty said, like, go out there and talk more. Like, I feel like that probably happened to a degree, but like, Mm -hmm. he's also just, I think he feels better about this team. and feels better about the players that are around him. And um, he's really actually like enjoying himself and it's great to see. Um, And then with Paul George, I think, you know, based on what we saw in the bubble last year, coming into this season, there was a lot of discussion about him and, Um, I think the focus this season was seeing kind of how he bounced back from that. And there was a lot of tension on him to start the season. Uh, and so the way he's played so far, you know, with the exception of that Dallas game, I think he's been phenomenal. Um, he's been shooting the ball really well. I think as a playmaker, he's been great. He talked last night about how he wants to make uh, more of an effort to, um, rebound the ball and he picked up 10 last night, which I think was a season high. So, um, seeing him become a little more versatile and and do all kinds of things in the court besides just shoot the three um I really like what I've seen from both of them
1: yeah just seeing um PG attack the paint so relentlessly he's been really cool Mm -hmm. and then uh just being able to make plays out of that like I'm not accustomed to looking at a Paul George box score and seeing five six assists on the reg league it's it's really it's kind of a new thing to see him utilize as this kind of playmaker I know talk rivers used to say that Paul George started his career as a point guard and that seems outlandish to me because I don't think that's ever been correct um (laughs) I distinctly remember that Frank Vogel had a rule with him in Indiana that he was not allowed to split the pick and roll because he's just turned the ball over every single time he did it. Like there have been limitations placed on him as a ball handler and as a creator. And I think those have been fair because, you know, we've seen him be a little careless with his handle, even with the Clippers. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's showed up, you know, in terms of his turnovers over the, over the first five games. But I like that. They're stretching him out a little bit because they have, you know, the ability to get back in defense if they turn the ball over and just, Uh, this is an experimental time right like it's a regular season they should be trying things out to see what's going to work down the stretch and you know unlocking this new facet of Paul George's game is really interesting to me because to me he just seems like the most unguardable player in on the Clippers like I know Kawhi is the best player but there's like there's a mold of a wing defender who can give Kawhi Leonard trouble because they have the Mm. right size and they have the right strength and they can you can put a body on him and just make his like difficult but I can't figure out the type of player who makes Paul George's life difficult because you have to be able to come across screens and defend him as a shooter. And then you have to be able to handle like him as he's barreling at you in the lane, because he's so much bigger than any shooting guard in the league. And now if he's, you know, going to be a willing passer, then like, how do you double him? You know, how do you send extra help? And it's obviously only five games. It's very early, but I'm just, I'm very impressed with the, the type of responsibility that he's taken on in the offense so far. And it's, it's cool to see him just get a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit sharper with his handle as we progress, because it's a part of his game that I didn't think was like explored at all last year. Um, Not, not to the degree that he was only like running JJ Ruddick free Allen shots or whatever, but right. um, the, the playmaking that he was asked to do, I thought was like fairly rudimentary. It wasn't anything more complex, but Tyloo's Lu's letting him go a little bit. And it's cool to watch because I mean, this is year 11 for Paul George, but I still think there's room for him to grow as a player. And it's always fun to watch guys just get better. Um, in terms of Kawhi, I think you hit it, you know, all with the talking. Um, I feel like we, we think about the Toronto season and it's just like, oh, well, he went there. Uh, it was his first year and he was immediately awesome. And they all immediately loved each other and they won a title. And why couldn't he do that with the Clippers? Um, I think maybe him having a friend and Danny Green helped things out. And we sort of overlooked that fact when he came to the Clippers and had no friends. I don't mean to say that he like, didn't have friends on the team, but like he had no like (laughs) existing relationships with any of the guys. Uh, And now he has one, he's got surge and he also knows all the guys from last year. So that's cool. Uh, Watching Kawhi celebrate is literally my favorite thing because it's so understated, (laughs) but like when he celebrates, like everybody gets pumped, you know, it's like the one thing that ignites everyone. Uh, So it's just cool to watch. Uh, Anything else that um, <clears throat> sticks out to you just from the start of the season that you, you know, felt was worth mentioning?
0: Just with Kawhi and PG? Or just in team?
1: general on the team, you know.
0: Um, I've been really impressed with the resilience and the way they bounced back, especially from that 50-point loss, mm-hmm. uh, which was just, wow. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, but but um, just because we didn't see that last year, right? I mean, I wrote about it this morning with looking back at the Denver series and thinking about how they built those double, I think each of the last three games of that series and then blew them and just looked lost completely on on both ends of the floor. Um, This season they've built those leads. And then when they have been challenged, they have either sustained them or they've come back and built upon them. Um, I think back to that Denver game last week on Christmas, where um, I think they were up for most of the game and then Denver makes that run, cuts it to 10 and then Kawhi goes out. And I'm like, well, here we go. Like this is, you know, Denver's going to finish this game and, and come back and win again. Um, but to see them bounce back and I think build that lead up as high as 17 before the game came to an end, um, you know, that resilience, that resolve, I don't think is something we saw a whole lot from the team last year. And I don't know if that's just Ty Lue. I don't know if it's the players, you know, coming together and talking about and just being more open and communicating more. Um, but the way that they've done that and the way they've kind of like weathered the storm over and over again and continue to come back and come back stronger from that, um has really impressed
1: me. Yeah. And it's uh, it's funny because I think about <clears throat> uh, Robert Flom tweets about this on Twitter all the time about how it's it's just such a small sample size, to, like make these narratives about the Clippers. But yeah, there's just like a feel you can get. And I think we had that feel with the Clippers last year at the start of the season that, you know, this premonition about just some something that wasn't quite right and it ended up, you know, coming to fruition. But mm-hmm. hopefully we're right, you know, in this direction that there is something more positive bubbling under the surface and when they're faced with tough times that they will eventually come back again accepting that one terrible task <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> yeah that was that was the first game i went to this season it's the first game i've been to at stable center since march like my first live sports i left at halftime i mean it was just like <clears throat> i don't i don't know what happened it was just yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah I'd, <clears throat> I'd rather not talk about it my voice yeah. is like even giving out just thinking about it um <laughs> But yeah, I, I also just want to bring up Terrence Mann because yeah. the Clippers have, uh, have not done a great job with drafting in recent years. Uh, they just declined, you know, Fionn Dudes third-year option, which I believe he was the only member of his draft class to get his third-year option declined. Right. And, you know, I was looking back at recent history of guys getting the third-year options declined and, like, Bryce Johnson comes to mind, you know, another late first-round big that the Clippers drafted. So, you know, that... The first round territory has not been great for the Clippers, obviously, excepting Shea, who is still longer on Clippers. But Terrence Mann uh, has been kind of fun over the start of the season. Uh, When we talk about, like, past connections that these guys have, uh, you know, him and Luke Kennard seem to be really good friends. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think they were part of the same high school class, which probably has something to do with it. But uh, I know that they, like they want to make him this point guard, even though he was basically a wing in college. And uh, I'm not sure that that has always been the smartest decision, but he does some really interesting things with the ball. And like that game against Minnesota, when he came out uh, with the second unit, his like, he ran some pick and rolls with Zubac. He was like, he had this no luck pass to Kennard when he cut in from mm-hmm. the baseline, which might be my favorite play of the season, just because of the sheer like unpredictability of what was going to happen there. Yeah. But He looks far more confident than I would have expected coming into the season, considering how bumpy the ride was in year one. And I'm not sure if he's going to be like an every game kind of guy. Ty has said that he expects to have some sort of like rotating cast of playmakers in that second unit, which is understandable considering all the talent they have on that roster. But I, I like that he looks better than he did a year before. Um, I like that. He looks more confident. His jumper is still just a, disaster that's that's gonna take some time but um he looks like he belongs on a court now which i wasn't sure was always the case last year even when they were like force feeding him those backup point guard minutes mm-hmm. and i think that's a win you know he's a second year guy he's a second round pick um i i don't know what the long-term expectations for him are but i think you can play him and like not expect him to be a, like a minus on the court and that's that's kind of cool because like i said the the Clippers young players have just not always had that potential.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, I don't know if I'm as big on Terrence right now to say that like, I'm confident about him being on the court all the time. Um, I I haven't loved like the Terrence man point guard minutes. I think he's probably best doing something else. Um, For me, it's just been like the awareness at times. Uh, I think there have been multiple 24 second violations where he's had the ball in his hands and there's been, you know, two, three seconds up in the clock and he just, I don't think he even sees it, um, and that's, that's been a little concerning for me, but I, I think um, there's definitely a reality where he um, is usable in, in this rotation, right? I think um, he's solid enough on defense. I do like the way he's moved the ball at times. Um, like you said, that, that no-look pass was like just totally crazy, yeah. um, and I loved seeing it, but yeah, totally didn't expect it. Um, yeah, I think once he gets a shot and he, he kind of settles more into a role or the, the coaching staff finds more of like a defined role for him where he can really excel. Um, I think he'll be a solid, like end of the bench guy, um, long-term I'm with you. I, I don't know if like he gets any better than this. Cause I think he is already 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, with this being his second year, I don't know how much more he really has to you know, put into his game. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, once they find that right role for him and once they get something defined, he'll be a solid. The bench guy, like I said. Yeah,
1: I don't think I said this well the first time, but um he kind of gets to be a backup wing now because they have mm-hmm. Kennard and because they have Lou Williams, where he's not asked to do as much ball handling or creation uh with the bench as he was last year. Um yeah, and I I, I don't right. think that the point guard thing is is the right fit for him. Um maybe you know doing that in the G League gets him the reps where he becomes more comfortable handling the ball, and like that's always an important skill no matter what position you play. But I like that he can play you know, off the ball next to those other guys, because you put him as a secondary ball handler. And I think there's some, his size gives him some ability to like, you know, get into the paint and yeah power some perimeter defenders, not necessarily overpower, just be longer and bigger. Um, so there's, I don't know. I I'm just glad that like, he hasn't completely fallen out of the rotation, which is what I worried would happen when Reggie Jackson came back. Right. And Reggie's been, you know, delightful. I mean, other than just one foul that he took in the bonus when like there was no reason to foul Damian Lillard when Portland's already in the bonus, but yeah, making shots, starting to the basket, just having a kick-ass time generally. Given great post-game <laughs> quotes, like what's not to love about yeah. Raj Jackson? Uh, but yeah, I, I'm just happy to see that like Terrence hasn't completely like fallen off at the face of the earth, um, and it's it's cool to see that there's like some maybe some light in the tunnel for Definitely. that for that guy. But, yeah, uh, we've kind of hit on this already. Uh, just come, some of your favorite plays of the season. Uh, you mentioned the Kawhi, you know, telling Path to shoot it. Uh, anything else? Just like singular moments stick out to you
0: yeah one of the things that jumped out at me from last night's game uh was just like pat being pat where he We're talking uh, beverly yeah, right yeah correct yeah sorry yeah patrick mm-hmm. beverly um i don't remember who missed the shot but uh yusuf nurkish was under the basket and pat ran up behind him and jumped up and tipped the ball in when he was standing like less than a foot away from him. Mm-hmm. and i was just like that that's just pete that's peak pat right there's a seven footer guy that's like almost 300 pounds standing right there in the paint and little one Pat Bev, hops up and, and gets a tip in over him. And I was just like, you can't describe Pat better than that play. Yeah, and it, it was, was so incredible.
1: It was so perfect, too, because I think Portland had just hit two threes and was, like, sort of making a run back into the game. Yeah. And, you know, you, it seems like, oh, they just got to stop. And it's like, no, <laughs> Pat's there. Like, the best offensive rebounder in the game for some reason, yeah. despite the fact <laughs> that he's only 6'1".
0: Right. Uh, yeah,
1: that's a good one. I Yeah. I don't understand it like is it not on the scouting report you know to like box out patrick beverly do point guards just not know how to box out um it has to be on the scouting report because he does it all the time like every game there is a situation where you think okay like other teams making a run they've got a chance to get back into this oh they just got to stop nope
0: (laughs) there's pat he flies out of nowhere and gets the board yeah Yeah. it's, it's amazing
1: i i would love to dig in to like What happens on the possessions where he gets an offensive rebound? I just feel like the conversion rate is so high. Like it's so demoralizing. Um, Maybe that's a project I want to dig into. Something to think about. But (laughs) (laughs) give me a good idea here, (laughs) Karen.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Anyway, this has been great. Uh, I think it's just nice to talk about a Clippers team that is fun and enjoyable and plays hard. Uh, All of those things put together combined with their prodigious talent I think would uh, make them to me I think they're the favorites in the west I'm not sure that the general public is there just because of you know they're not the defending champions or the defending mm-hmm. finalists but I'm of the belief that this is the team to beat and uh I sort of felt that way with their roster just because of the Ibaka edition. and now knowing that they've brought in like another capable player in Nick Batum who can be part of their playoff rotation that also helps quite a bit so yeah I think it's safe to say that I have a uh, I'm drinking all of the Kool-Aid after five <laughs> games.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: which hopefully I don't bite my you know, tongue after this because uh, again, five out of 72 games, one of which we have not even really discussed. So Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah. Um, that's where I, I, I am.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I feel like I'm with you on that. Like it's crazy. I mean, looking at last year's roster, I think like maybe this is closer to what we all expected from last year's team. And mm-hmm. we're finally seeing it now. We have Tyler and a new coaching staff, um, to me that's of the biggest thing like the roster additions have been great and the changes they've made have, have really, I think helped this team out a lot, but I think Tyloo has really unlocked the potential of this team. Um, not only on offense where I think he's made the biggest contribution, uh, but the defense with the communication, the way they've looked on on both ends this this season. Um, to me, I agree. I think that makes them the team to beat so far.
1: Yeah. And I'm really interested to see how the Clippers look on their first like series set, you know, like when they have to play mm-hmm. the same team twice because uh We've, we've given Ty all this credit and I, I just want to see what those adjustments look like you know the first time he has to play a team twice um it's been really fascinating to watch other teams go through this process so far I, the Clippers just haven't had it yet but uh, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to just uh, general coaching nerdery which uh, you know <laughs> good times
0: <laughs> Yeah, definitely
1: uh well thanks again so much for hopping on the podcast Garrett uh tell the people where they can find all your work
0: Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Corpunning. That's G-A-C-H-O-R-P-E-N-N-I-N-G. And then as Sabrina said, I covered the Clippers for Sports Illustrated. The uh, URL there is si.com slash NBA slash Clippers. You can follow me over there, read all my work.
1: Yeah. And I'll definitely make sure to include all that in the show notes. So 2020 ended for the Clippers on quite a nice note. And I'm so glad that we were able to talk about it. So thank you all for listening to the show. Make sure you're the, you're subscribed to the Clips Nation podcast on Spotify or iTunes, and we will catch you all in 2021.